Well, with the, the storms that we've had this week in Michigan and the pandemic dragging on, I have found for myself anyway, that the Bible stories are scriptures that are like really familiar to me that are well-trod paths have been the ones that have been the most comforting and the most helpful. So that's why you'll probably notice this summer I've preached on like Jonah in the belly of the whale and Jesus walking on water, these different stories that don't require a lot of work because we know the stories, even if we're looking at them from a different perspective. And so this week I was just walking in the park and I found myself just repeating the beginning lines of a Psalm that I know really, really well. And it's Psalm 121. And I found that I was just kind of repeating it almost like a mantra as I was doing my daily uh, routine. So I thought, well, why don't we, why don't we talk about this one? Because I I'm finding it comforting. Maybe you will too. I'm going to paste this here into the chat. So we'll start by reading it and then I'll expand on this a little bit. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. They will not let your foot slip. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, the one who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. They will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. So this particular psalm, I think, kind of got seared inside me at a young age because I sang a version of it with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra when I was a younger person. So it's, there's a song called Lift Thine Eyes, O Lift Thine Eyes to the Mountains that you might know if you're a, a classical music background person. It's probably the most famous song from the great choral work called Elijah by Felix Mendelssohn. And so I was in these different performances of Elijah, both as a child in a children's choir and then later on in college. And so I got to know that oratorio really well. And when you sing something, you know that you know it starts as like breath down in the center of your body. And there's something about that that just helps make memory there inside of you. And so I can still feel this song like it's a part of me even decades later. And it, it comes out like a prayer with the rhythm of my walking. And maybe you have some songs like that as well. And that's what the Psalms actually are. They're, they're poetic prayers that were originally set to music, and they were meant to stick with people and to become part of their spiritual formation. And this particular psalm is part of a handful of songs known as the Psalms of Ascent. Here, I'll put that down in the chat. Psalms of Ascent. And it's thought that these particular psalms that were here kind of in the middle of the collection of psalms, that these were sung by the Israelites when they made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem each year. So Jerusalem is set on kind of a higher elevation than a lot of the land that's around it. And so the picture was of the people coming from like all the different regions, north, south, east, and west, just ascending up onto the temple to worship together in Jerusalem. And we know that Jesus's family made this trek. And so he very well may have sung this psalm as one of the many as he traveled by foot with other families from his home village. And so these walking sung mantras are very, very much part of our faith tradition. 
so the mountains that are in that region, although I don't even know that I'd call them mountains, they're probably more like hills, um, but the hills or mountains around Jerusalem there at that time weren't always safe. So if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells, where he talks about a robber who comes and beats up a guy and takes his money in the hills. And so it, it seems to have been known that the hills just sometimes hid bandits, and especially that road from Jerusalem to Jericho was known to be pretty fraught. And so that, that first line, I lift my eyes to the mountains, where does my help come from? That could be a line that's said out of awe of looking at the mountains, or it could be a line set out of trepidation, right? just out of fear of the mountains and of who hides in them, waiting to pounce, right? There's this sort of both and with mountains. Now, I don't know about you, um, if you've ever lived in the mountains, I know we've got a couple people out west. Caroline probably lives in the mountains out there. Um, but I have before when I lived in Western China and I actually found them to be the most naturally awe-inspiring landscape for me. But at the same time, I also have been in the absolute worst electrical storms I've ever been in and the most precarious driving situations when I lived in the mountains. You know, there's this sort of like mountains are awesome, but they can also be really daunting. And I think maybe it's this mix of qualities that like lets them evoke these God moments in people. Like that sages and mystics um, in many times and many places and all faith traditions, they seem to take to the mountains to pray and to meditate. And we look at mountains with our sort of existential questions they evoke about whether or not we're alone and we get these sort of realizations of how small and how finite we are. I remember laying on my back on the mountains, just looking up at the Milky Way. You could see so many stars and you just get this overwhelming sense of what a little speck you are on this mountain in the galaxy. And it, it can just kind of make you wonder, is there any help to even be had? And so I think the writer of this psalm is making this sort of proclamation of faith when they follow that up by saying that their help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And it's, it's this thought that like, if there is help to be had, then it must come from whoever or whatever created this world. Right, so something that you'll hear me say a lot if you hear me preach over the course of time is this, I'll put it into the chat. Oops, except that I messed it up. Here we go. It's, it's a line that stuck with me. Doubt is part and parcel of a healthy faith. I think I got that line from a Madeline LaIngle book, um, Walking on Water, when I read it like 20 years ago. I could be wrong about that, but that's in my mind where I got that line. But doubt is part and parcel of a healthy faith. And I found that helpful. Um. I would just say that even in seasons of like personal doubt of wondering about a God or a creator, like one of the things that I've really held on to is the idea that there must be some kind of creator or originator for this three-dimensional experience of the world that we have. Because if there was a big bang billions of years ago that started from a mix of gas and dust, it always begs the question for me, well, where did the gas and the dust come from? So it seems like there must be some kind of creator who sees time and 
broader strokes than we do. I feel like I kind of get John the Apostle, I sometimes call him John the Mystic, who wrote the book of Revelation. He calls this God the, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I think this psalmist seems to be intuiting something similar about the creator. And perhaps it's this sense of like timelessness or the constantness or the bigness that mountains evoke that makes the psalmist say that if there's help to be had, then it must be like the creator of these mountains must be the source of that help. Right? And then it goes, the psalmist goes on with that. The Lord will not let your foot slip. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, the one who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, the first thing that came to my mind when I when I think about God not letting our feet slip on the mountains um, are these pictures, these crazy pictures I've seen of mountain goats on steep surfaces. Now, I don't know if you've seen these. I'm going to share a couple of pictures. The first one. Oh, Actually, that was going to be the second one. But are you seeing the goats on the dam right now? I can't even tell what you're seeing. I am so sorry. Oh, on the rocks. Oh, okay. Good. You did see the first one on the rocks. Um, yeah, it's like they can get themselves into these crazy situations where they're just like, you know, happily munching on some little crevice in the rocks. And you're like, how in the world did you even get up there? And they don't even seem like, they don't even seem scared. And then there's this second picture. And this one, it's less on the mountains, but I was like, you've got to, you've got to see this. These are the goats on a dam in Italy. And I remember seeing like a whole slideshow of these ones, because apparently this happens all the time in this national park in Italy where these goats just like climb up the side of this dam on this mountain on these crazy steep places and they they just eat the grasses out of it and they seem like very, very unbothered. And I think, man, how are they not scared that they're going to just fall? I know when I was living in Western China, I had the experience of, of climbing some smaller mountains by foot. And, you know, sometimes they're mountains that you can just kind of walk right up the side of. And there are even mountains that I was on that like, when you actually get to the summit, it is actually like a point almost, you know? So I, I could walk up one side of it, but on the other side, there was actually a pretty steep drop off, but I've got a pretty strong fear of heights. And so when I would start to get up to the top of these within 20 or 30 feet, like some of my friends could go up and be like, yeah, I'm just going to go right to the top. But I would get kind of woozy and I'd get a little vertigo-y and I remember sitting down and I would just kind of scoot up on my on my rear end so I could try and get to the top but I could not do that standing up um, and so when I think about God not letting my foot sleep I think it or my foot slip I think of it as you know kind of like a metaphor for those times when I'm feeling overwhelmed or kind of just dizzy with everything in life and that God is with me and that I can sit and I can rest, and I can be, and that I don't have to go any further than I'm able to go, right? And then the psalmist goes on, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. So the right hand in the Hebrew Bible is the hand that's considered like clean and strong, 
you'll often see in various Psalms, the writers referring to like God's right hand of strength. And so in that culture, as in many cultures still today, the left hand is used for tasks that are considered dirty, like toileting and such. And then the right hand is used for eating, for like touching others, for shaking hands. And so the idea that God is the shade at our right hand, it's like God is the place where we can rest our strength. Like you're feeling burnt out in a bad place. God is just to the right of you, the shade waiting to pull you off of the path where you can rest and refresh and recover, right? That that's who God is. The psalmist finishes. The Lord will keep you from all harm. They will watch over your life but the Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Ken preached last week on how he reads the Bible and talked about how we read it for wisdom and for comfort and through the lens of its various literary contexts. And so when the writer of the Psalm is saying, the Lord will keep you from all harm, they're they're not writing it like they're writing a treatise on the problem of evil. We all know that bad things happen to us. You know, the, the psalmist doesn't even feel the need to take into consideration other perspectives found in the other psalms, right? But they're just speaking in a poetic language that celebrates the overarching and faithful care of God and that that's meant to comfort us and to let us know that we're not in our sufferings alone. And so I hope, I hope you find this psalm um, to be kind of as lovely and comforting and helpful as I do figured there might be a reason that one was sort of in a circular mantra in my own spirit this week. And I thought we might sit with a little part of it here for our meditation. So if this is your first time with us, we often do a couple of minutes of either silence or guided meditation. And so if you would like to, you're welcome to join us in a guided meditation. And what I'll invite you to do is just sit or stand or lay whatever you're doing, but get yourself comfortable, ease your shoulders, Take a couple of deep breaths in your own timing, however your body is allowing you to do that right now. Center yourself and feel yourself just grounded right where you're at. I invite you to picture yourself walking along a sunny path through some fields. So there aren't a lot of trees. There could be hills, however you picture it, but you're just walking along this path. And the sun is pretty blazing hot. Just notice what you're feeling in your body. What does it smell like? What does it look like? And as you've been walking, you notice that you've grown weary and you're pretty sweaty, hungry, 
You could use a little more water in your water bottle. Water's kind of warm from walking so long. And then you see a tree not too far in the distance and it's up ahead on your right side. And as you approach that tree, you see that, oh, there's just this tremendous shade and these lovely places that you can sit down. You also notice that there's a wooden table there with some snacks, some cold iced lemonade, some water. There's a little sign that says, rest here, weary traveler. Invite you to take whatever you want and just sit in the shade of that tree and look out around you and notice what you see. And as your body is recovering, I invite you to just say on your in-breath, the Lord is your shade, and on your out-breath, at your right hand. Let's just do this for a few seconds. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. So I invite you in those, in those places this week where you're feeling weary or overwhelmed. Um, if you're here in Southeast Michigan, maybe it's just been a long week with the storms and the tornado and such. Just embrace this metaphor for who God is. That God is the shade at your right hand. God is refreshment. God is a cool drink on a hot day. Just lean into that and maybe find some space to just rest in the divine as you're moving through your week.